0: Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have David Skinner from Eculent coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co host this week. He is a Houston hospitality veteran and a co founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you?
1: I'm excellent. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number 1 been a number of closings in the last couple of weeks I just kind of want to run through them quickly you know basically I'm I'm going to sort of throw one out to you and if you have thoughts on this restaurant something you'll miss about it you know fire away let's start with Nino's Vincent's and Grappino Nino. this is the uh, two Italian restaurants and a wine bar that were located on West Dallas Street, founded by Vincent Mandola. That whole property, which is about two and a half acres, has been purchased by real estate investors, including the owners of Heights Beer Garden and Holman Draft Hall, with an eye on creating a new dining district they're calling the Harlow District that will ultimately have six food and beverage concepts and 250 shared parking spaces. Kind of a mouthful, but Michael I say all that to say to you. I mean, do you have any any memories of Nino's and Vincent's? Any any favorite meals or dishes there?
1: Well, it's yeah, you know, I mean, it's kind of an instant it is an institution of Houston. You know, when you think about the Mandolas of the Carabas and and the imprint that they've left on the Houston dining scene, past, present, and 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 even into the future here, that, that's gotta be part of the conversation. I guess Nino's I think started first and they did a more casual for Vincent's and then the wine bar having all that property. And I always had like solid meals there. Not, you know, nobody's reinventing the wheel, um, but it was always like solid. The, the service was fine. Uh, but I, and I I, can't even put my finger on why I stopped going there, but I hadn't been there in years. And maybe that illuminates why they've come to an end, at least in part. But, uh, you know, that, that that's what I've got.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, for, for whatever reason, you know, growing up in Houston, we, we went to Damien's, which is, you know, Damien Mendola, one of Vincent's brothers, or, or I should write Vincent Mandola, who founded Nino's and Vincent's. Uh, and then we went to Tony Valone restaurant. So it was never quite in my family's rotation and, and, you know, growing up an adult, you say you stopped going, you, you stopped going for, for the reason that I don't go to Damien's anymore, which is that I'm more enamored with other Italian restaurants that that are uh, a little less old school, right? Like, you know, you and I might go to to Giacomo's or Ostia or Cultivare, or, you know, we'll go super casual at a place like Polly's, and that's kind of where we get our Italian cravings uh, satiated, right? It's, you know, these kind of old school restaurants sort of have a, have a good life, and then they kind of run their course. And, and you know, kind of overshadowing all of this also is that Vincent Mandola passed away in 2020. So, you know, without the patriarch, I think it's always a little bit hard to to sustain a restaurant like restaurant. Yeah,
1: I think like you this. make all very solid points there is that you look at a place like Cultivare, which has the garden that they're going from, you know, Giacomo's, which, I mean, they have these rotating specials that are just really... What Lynette does there, like her desserts, her pastas are just fantastic. Um, And so it just becomes, I guess, just a bit antiquated. The other thing that you might, you know, that always comes back to our discussion about restaurants is real estate values. And, you know, the property taxes on that have have got to have just soared. Uh, When I first moved to Houston, you know, quite a while ago, that was like the only thing over there, you know, and now it's, uh, it's become so much more. And, And in the coming year or so, we'll see, a, you know, a real dramatic change there. And, and so the values have really gone through the roof.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm sure the family got fair market value for this and it's, you know, a legacy for them. It's a little bit like when, uh, when Marco Wiles sold the, the Dolce Vita property, you know, like you, you invest in these with the idea that someday you'll sell them and, and reap a windfall. and And I'm sure the family did, did very well. Uh, Do you have any any thoughts or expectations about this Harlow district that's going to replace these restaurants?
1: I mean, we'll see. I mean, they have a huge amount of parking, which is really important because they're going to have to do pretty big volume to pay, you know, either what is the mortgage or the rent that they're going to be paying there. So it'll be interesting to see. They're going to have to. I mean, I would think they'd have to do a concept that gets people, you know, gets a fair amount of people in and out. Otherwise, you've got to go high end. And when you look at the fact that you've got Georgia James there, then you've got, you know, uh, the two others, live fire steakhouses coming there soon from Michael Sandbrooks and from um, Ben Berg. Uh, You know, I don't think I want to compete directly with that. So I I think they'll do something in in between. And uh, I'm most curious.
0: Yeah, I mean I I certainly wonder if they'll bring kind of their style of patio bar uh to the property. I mean that would that would make a certain amount of sense. And then I I've, you know, I've had some sort of uh background conversations with one of the investors. I know they're they're looking for they're looking for good operators. They're looking for uh concepts that they can lease some of these spaces to. They want to be, you know, they they may operate one, but they they also want to be a landlord primarily. So You know, we'll certainly, I think you're right. I mean, we'll see. uh, But, you know, these are relatively large, you know, some of these are pretty large spaces, six, 7,000 square feet. So, you know, a lot of opportunity to do something on a pretty grand scale that we, we don't really see from restaurants anymore. You know, a lot of restaurants are, you know, four or 5,000 square feet. So it'll be interesting to see what, what people want to do to be sure. All right. Uh, Closing two. we should note that Revival Market called it quits after, uh, I don't know, like 11 years. The restaurant's longtime general manager, Lane Cruz, is opening a new concept called Lanyap Kitchen and Bar. So kind of a Louisiana theme that's coming pretty soon after some interior renovations. You know, I just I remember when Revival Market opened. It was the first project where Morgan Weber and. Ryan Para teamed up. And of course they've gone on to do Cultivari and eight row Flint and Indianola, And and so, you know, it's kind of the beginning of the empire. You know, I just, I remember being so excited about, you know, Texas rate beef and farm vegetables and, and all the sausages that they made. And they had, you know, Greenway coffee and they did these pastry pop-ups. I mean, I remember lining up for, uh, you know, they made lox and bagels and they made kolaches and donuts and all this other stuff. Uh, but you know, it was never quite in the rotation for me as like a, a breakfast and lunch spot, but, but it was popular in the neighborhood. It certainly had a good run. Um, I don't know, real briefly, any, any thoughts on revival?
1: Yeah, same thing. It was really kind of exciting when they opened up because uh, there wasn't really anything exactly like that in town and it really fit for the Heights. I mean, you don't want to have to drive all the way to central market and that's such a a larger, more impersonal experience. Whereas despite how good central market is, this was you know, you're going to get, you You know, the whole idea of sourcing from really good places uh, and talking about what you're getting and really knowing what you're getting. And, you know, the whole uh, organic movement, um, the farm to table movement, it dovetailed all very nicely with that. So it was like it was not a, a cheap excursion, but it fit well for the neighborhood and, and lasted for quite a while in that respect. Um you know, I never really quite made it. Also, when it started to segue into more of a cafe kind of experience, I'm um, like you. I went to like when they did the the whole hog for an anniversary. Man, they killed it. They did a great job. Brian really did. Really was really good. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, they had a fun like just a few months where they tried dinner service, and and it was a little bit like it was like kind of the bistro version of Cultivare, right? Great salads. You know, Texas Proteins, uh, pretty affordable. A- and I thought it was pretty exciting, but it never quite caught on. But, you know, uh, like I think an important restaurant kind of in this this time when, you know, the Heights wasn't really a dining destination. And it kind of helped pave the way for, for what it is now, which is obviously one of the most important dining neighborhoods in the city.
1: Yeah, and I'm really happy to see, you know, Lane Cruz, the GM, taking it over. Uh, she's... You know, been there a while and she has great relationships in the neighborhood. Uh, you know, it's not going to close and become a dry cleaners or a subway. Uh, it's going to, there's a, this new legacy for her to create. And uh, I think that's exciting and promising.
0: Absolutely. All right. And then staying in the Heights, Berdine, the vegan restaurant in the Heights Waterworks development, closed after three and a half years. Uh, the chef, Stephanie Hoban, took an option from the landlord to terminate her lease early. And instead, it's it's still going to be a plant-based restaurant called Ginger Mule. It's coming from Robert White, who is the Sugarland Land-based restaurateur behind places like Jupiter Pizza and Waffles and Japaneros. Now, we don't have a lot of details on on Ginger Mule. I, I will say, I, I, I went to Verdine. Occasionally, I have some vegan friends. It's kind of a nice place to meet. I thought that they, you know, they made food with a lot of integrity. It started as a food truck. It kind of grew up at... At Urban Harvest, and and you could get you know a diverse array of dishes that I I always thought were were flavorful and satisfying and and so you know it, it definitely had a following. It will definitely be missed, but I'm I'm excited to see what's next.
1: Yeah, I never made it to Verdine. Um, I, I don't dine vegan very often. Shockingly, I know for me. Uh, <laughs> But um, I'm always happy to see that there's a a vegan restaurant and that it's hopefully thriving, you know, uh, in this community because, you know, Houston deserves and certainly should have something for that. Because that's it's not just like a I guess calling it a fringe dining scene is kind of pejorative. It's like that's something very, you know, become more and more prevalent. And so I like to see that.
0: Absolutely. All right. And then our fourth closing that I want to note is the tasting room. Is The uh, wine bar and restaurant is closing its final location in City Center at the end of August. You know, I, I looked up our Culture Map coverage from uh, 2011 when, when the Tasting Room first opened. You know, they were working with Michael Kramer, who was this, like, uh, you know, California chef who came to Houston with a lot of fanfare, operated voice at the Hotel Icon for a yeah. few years.
1: That, that was- yeah, after Bank, after when, voice, when Bank became Voice, right? They did a great job.
0: And it, it was arguably one of the best restaurants in Houston. And the, you know, hotel restaurants just never seemed to last, but but, you know, it was an important kind of transition, like as as Houston's emergence as a a dining city and a training ground for uh, some pretty talented cooks. They were doing, you know, Neapolitan style wood-fired pizza at the tasting room, along with, you know, cheese and charcuterie and a whole bunch of entrees and stuff. And so, you know, I think it I think it had a moment. Uh, you know, I certainly remember going to the Uptown Park location for for dinners and happy hours and events, you know, city center probably only been there once or twice, but you know, that's obviously a a very busy, uh, part of the world for dining. And, and that was, it was the landlord's decision not to renew their lease. So I'm sure that whatever, some, some big fancy national brand is going to come and take that space.
1: Yeah, Lasco Enterprises running, you know, uh, the tasting room. Uh, We've talked about this before, like back in the day when there was maybe like one wine bar in Houston, right there on West Alabama, the wine bucket. And, you know, ironically, as that whole thing took off, they closed and then, you know, the tasting room came in to West Alabama doing very well. And then when they opened in Uptown Park, they just crushed it. I mean, just really did a good job financially uh i had friends who had worked there and you know it was definitely a c and b scene you know uh it was it was a scene to be sure uh and i guess they opened in austin too and it looked like it was just going to really uh explode but uh everybody has their day right
0: alasco also you know max's wine dive they put one of those in austin dallas san antonio i think denver chicago you know all of that uh None of those lasted, unfortunately. So there's still – there's two Max's Wine Dives, one on Washington Avenue, the original, and the second one um, at Fairview and Taft and Montrose that's yeah. it's been there for several years. So, you know, that that part of the business is still going strong and, and you know, quietly, like one of the better fried chickens in Houston to this very day, uh, uh, in my opinion. We used but, to go
1: – yeah, back when Jonathan Jones was the chef at Max's Wine Dive, the original back on, on Washington Avenue – and I remember I worked at a restaurant downtown and we would go there after work when they still be open to get the fried chicken. Cause it was so good.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, Lasco enterprise is still around uh, the tasty room. Uh, you know, I, I admit I, this is not going to be like one of those where I feel obligated to rush for one last meal, but, but I did, uh, I did think it was worth noting, uh, just because it, it did, it did play an important role in kind of Houston's evolution as a, a wine drinking town and, and certainly is, you know, served thousands of people for a long, long time. So I
1: absolutely, I know, Jonathan I know Horowitz. Yeah, I was just about to say, Jonathan Horowitz did a great job with it. And, you know, of course, he's moved on to his own thing now. Right.
0: All right. Uh, topic number two a couple of new uh, expansions to talk about. I want to start with the Alba Craft Kitchen and Cocktails. This is Doubt Alshani and Chef Jeff Hunt's restaurant that opened in Garden Oaks last year. They've already found a second location. They are taking the beer market space in Midtown on Milam Street. Uh, Former, I don't suppose you've made it up to Garden Oaks to try Diaba, have you?
1: Yeah, I've been one time. You know, it, it struck me as a very kind of family friendly place. You know, several salads that were well executed. You know, some good pastas that were not. You know, just they had the, their little twist on it, um, and a really damn good chocolate chip cookie, uh, as I recall.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, I think I think that's all pretty accurate. I would say, uh, you know, Jeff is a Benji's veteran, worked for uh, Benji's and local foods for a long time. You know, Doubt knows Midtown very well. He was part of the group that opened uh, beer Market. So, you know, I I do sort of wonder about a restaurant that's original location is so like family oriented uh, coming to. Midtown, which is not really a family kind of neighborhood, but, (laughs) but, but, you know, but, but they, but they have cocktails and they have, you know, a good wine list and they have a a big patio and, and they'll figure it. All right. They'll, they'll adapt the atmosphere, right? The menu is solid. They just have to create the atmosphere.
1: Uh, And I think they'll figure it out. Yeah, it's become the Tinder, you know, Bumble District. So, <laughs> so we'll see how they, but who knows, like maybe they're going to fill a niche that just isn't there. So who, who knows?
0: Yeah, I, I think it kind of fits in with like, you know, a restaurant like Weights and Measures, right? Where it's kind of an eclectic menu, you know, sort of Italian leaning, you know, without being like explicitly Italian. Uh, and and certainly, you know, that's been very successful for a number of years. So, uh, you know, high hopes, High hopes for D'Alba to find its own uh, its own space in Midtown. Good uh, luck to them. In Midtown. Absolutely. And then uh, just briefly, I want to note that uh, topic number, I guess, three uh, is that the taco stand is coming to Webster. Uh, the original taco stand opened last year in the Heights. This is uh, the owners are Sean Bermudez and Chef Matt Pack, who are also partners in the burger joint. So they opened a burger joint earlier this year uh, down by Baybrook mall. And then the new taco stand will be about a mile away. Uh, Michael, I, I know that you've been to the taco stand because I've eaten there with you. Uh, just what do you, what do you think and, and how do you feel about this as a, uh, as an addition to uh, sort of the greater Clear Lake Webster area?
1: I, I think it makes great sense. I mean, There's so many people there who want to dine out. There's so many families. There's so many, you know, mid six figure uh, homes down there. And what's what the the niche that taco stand fills really nicely is they have a very expansive menu. It's not like three tacos and two burritos. There's there's a lot on there. It's it's not going to beat out your local barrio or that best food truck you've ever had. But it's really serviceable. You know, the pastor. Uh, the carnitas, the fajitas are all, you know, they're solid, they're fine. And importantly, they don't, they're not doing like the Torchies thing where they're going to kind of make it really kind of quaint and cute and then charge another, you know, 20 to 40%. So they're keeping it at a very reasonable price. So that enables them to do volume, which also cause they're, they've got a you know, they've got a drive through at the one in the Heights and that, you know, that's just busy all the time. And who doesn't, this is huge. Who doesn't like tacos, you know? You know, uh, who, right. Name them, name them. I don't know anybody.
0: <laughs> right. Nobody I want to be friends with at the very right. least. No. And, and I think all of that's very well said, right. They do traditional tacos with integrity. They, they make the the corn and flour tortillas on site. They, they have five house-made sauces that are all flavorful and well-executed. Yep. And they're, they're tacos with integrity, right? Are they, you know, are they the best? Like, and it's kind of like the burger joint, right? It, I don't think of the burger joint as making the best burger in Houston, but I'm never mad about going to the burger joint and having a burger.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it, they keep their prices reasonable. The right. quality is there. And, uh, and I'll got, say, I need a
0: taco stand pretty regularly. Like if I'm driving around the Heights and it's kind of lunchtime, I can roll through that drive-through. I can get, you know, three tacos and an agua fresca. It's 15 bucks or whatever it is. Like it's not crazy it's consistently tasty uh so yeah i think i think this is a great addition to webster i'm, I'm happy to see yeah absolutely
1: yeah so good for them
0: michael i'm going to say that does it for the news of the week we will be right back with our restaurants of the week stick around This podcast is brought to you by Green Street. Located in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street celebrates delicious cuisine, exciting entertainment, and live music, all in a vibrant urban setting. Green Street is the perfect spot for a dinner and drinks before or after a big game downtown. Grab a bite al fresco from on site restaurants such as Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or MS Seafood Steaks and Oysters. Now, I'll have to say, I had the opportunity to visit The Palm which relocated to downtown last year. It's an exciting update to just a classic Houston Steakhouse, still with the prime steak, still with the giant lobsters, but in a refreshed and updated atmosphere. If you're not coming for dinner or after dinner, enjoy a drink and live entertainment from Pete's Dueling Piano Bar, or grab your friends and head to 810 Billiards and Bowling for a night of fun. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to GreenStreetDowntown.com to see a full list of bars, restaurants, and entertainment destinations. That's GreenStreetDowntown.com. Michael, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about Gatlin's Fins and Feathers. This is the new chicken and seafood concept from Gatlin's barbecue owner, Greg Gatlin, and Chef Michelle Wallace. It opened right down the street uh, from barbecue Inn. what were your sort of impressions of, of Gatlin's fins and feathers? What did you, what did you like?
1: First of all, I love the space. Uh, It has almost a diner look to it. Excuse me. I like the color palettes. It's nothing like crazy dramatic, you know, but at the same time, it just, it's very soothing, you know, and I don't even know quite how to articulate that, you know, in a podcast, but it just, it is, it's very comfortable. They've got booths and they've got tables Uh, And so it's just it's a comfortable place, Um, you know, just to to be uh, forward. Also, I I have worked with Michelle before and I've worked with Greg Gatlin on my events, too. And I know both of their their commitments to quality and their their acumen when it comes to this kind of cuisine. And I know Greg has been looking to do a second location for a long time. And, you know, it's finally happened. It's here. And I couldn't be more excited.
0: Yeah. And, and I'd say we had a pretty good, you know, we went on day two or day three, whatever it was. I'd say we had a, a pretty good dinner at Fins and Feathers. You know, we had fried chicken. We had fried seafood, catfish, oysters. You know, we had gumbo. We had biscuits. I enjoyed all of it.
1: I did, too. Uh, they had a special that day, a chilled corn soup. That was my favorite thing of the day was... It was, even, it was just beautiful. It was beautifully plated, but it tasted wonderful. Had a little crab meat on top. It was so good. It didn't need the crab meat. That just was like a huge bonus. Um, I liked all the food we had. Uh, there was a little hiccups in service, but like I said, we were there day two. Um, I think my one kind of real critique would be the plating. Uh, some of it was like really sparse where you would get like, there's a couple pieces of catfish on a tray and then there's this big empty white space. You know, just put something on there, either put a side, put some parsley, whatever to break it up. That's just and that's the easiest fix in the world, you know, that they'll they'll get down. Right. Uh, Right. You know, it
0: just the presentation wasn't very visually appealing. Right. In in an age of not on those dishes, Instagram, Instagram friendly. Is as, as that's a consideration, right? Oh, it right. did land. Which and, sounds as
1: silly as it sounds, is like it is a reality we live with. Those oysters though, they look they don't the only they look beautiful, they tasted fantastic. Right.
0: Those exo roasted oysters were were probably the best thing we ate. Uh yeah. that, and, that and the biscuits, I think, were my my two favorite things. And you know, you're right, right. We went on day two. Uh the service was a work in progress, so to speak. But but I think, you know, they've they've been advertising for staff. They're right, currently they're only open for dinner five days a week and brunch on sundays right they plan to be open for for lunch and dinner at some point but you know they don't have they don't have the staff for it
1: yet so yeah they'll uh, get there it's still you know it's still you know not easy for a lot of restaurants to staff up and you know i, I was with a, a group of people yesterday at a little house party in uh we, uh, it was a lot of people who I'd worked with at different places and we've all you know spread out to different you know restaurants and and really the conversation was the same about people and some of them had left the industry and it was a lot of the people I know who have left the industry there's like they're like I can make money elsewhere without having to deal with the stress of what that job entails you know or the lack of benefits or the pay or any of those other things you know the abuse from people. You know, it's it wasn't a lazy thing. It's just that that's, you know, change comes slowly to most industries. But the restaurant industry, the last two years, it's come very fast and very dramatic. Uh, and so, you know, operators are still going to have to catch up with that. And it's going to take a little while. I mean, we're not we're only a couple months out of really, you know, COVID being still a, kind of a hardcore thing. So. A lot of restaurants I know still haven't open for lunch, or maybe they're only open one day a week now. So that's going to be a slow thing back as they staff up for that. Because right now, a lot of restaurants have that one kitchen crew, that one waitstaff crew, and you can't ask them to all work doubles all week because then guess what? Then you lose them. So like I said, it'll be a work in progress. but. I don't care. I'm going to go back to Fins and Feathers for dinner and I'll go there to lunch when they open for lunch, uh, as opposed to just like fried catfish and and, and fried chicken. And, uh, you know, it's the little things that Greg's going to bring to it, like smoked chicken enchiladas, you know, uh, bringing that, his, you know, that that acumen that he has from all the years of working in smokers. And then Michelle, who's worked there for a long time and worked in all kinds of different high end kitchens, uh, they've got like a duck mole. Uh, Rojo, you know, it's a, a, a leg quarter and, uh, our friend Anthony, uh, was there recently. I talked to him about it, said it was fantastic. Uh, when we were there, there was a few issues with the air conditioner. He said, it's gotten a lot better. Uh, you know, that's another thing. So you know, this has just been a brutal summer and, um, ironically it's cooler now in August than it was the last three months, <laughs> but I'll take it.
0: Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I think all of that's well said. I thought the fried chicken was, was very tasty. Juicy, crispy, holds its own with with any of the the best versions of that dish in Houston. And you're right, I I want to go back. I want to go back for the for the grilled jerk chicken. I want to go back for the smoked chicken enchiladas. I want to go back for you know this Nashville hot fish sandwich that they're doing. Duck mole rojo, you know, campuchana, barbecue, New Orleans style barbecue shrimp. There's a lot on that menu to try.
1: Yeah, and we barely scratch fish, the surface. Whole fish dinner that will be re- 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 you know revolving and. And, and we'll see what happens with what they do with desserts. And, and with having barbecue in, someone asked me, well, isn't that with having barbecue in literally like a, a two blocks away? Well, barbecue in is completely old school. Barbecue in is like the 1960s. Uh, and this is something a little more contemporary, but still honoring, you know, the, the heritage of what all these things are. It's just putting the Gatlin stamp on it, you know, and, and so I'm in.
0: Absolutely. All right. And then. Just briefly, I I did want to note that we went to Brett's Barbecue Shop, its final weekend in its original location on Mason Road in Katy. Brett Jackson and his his business partner, Jacqueline Herrera, are getting ready to to move to a new location that should be opening sometime this month. And so I just thought it was a kind of a good opportunity to sort of assess, where does Brett's Barbecue Shop fit in for you among the very best uh, barbecue joints in Houston?
1: Brett's Barbecue Shop is top tier for Houston. It, it deserves to be in Texas Monthly's top 50, and, and I would put it in the top five for Houston. Uh, it's really, like you said, when you when I talk about what is the different tiers, because the quality of barbecue has just gotten so good, not just in Texas, but really in Houston. And when you talk about places like Corkscrew and Tejas and Killens and Truth, Brett's deserves to be in that same conversation. Their sausage program, which they make themselves, they, they've got some weird sounding sausages when I've gone there, like these tamale sausages or a blueberry pork sausage, which I'm like, I kind of scratch my head and my my eyebrow kind of curls up like, you know, Mr. Spock or whatever. And then I try it and I'm like, holy moly, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, I could go back just for that. But his brisket ranks as some of the best I've ever had anywhere in my life. It's that good and consistent. That- no, no, I,
0: I I agree with you. I thought the the brisket was really first rate. I thought, you know, unfortunately, you know, we went there and we're like, oh, we're gonna get some of the sausage, and they they, <laughs> they had it had all been committed to a catering order. And <laughs> we had a hundred links of sausage to go into the catering order. I said, give them ninety eight and give us two, but they right. they have too much integrity for that. And, and yeah. you know, the real the real killer dish that day was the the smoked brisket enchiladas, uh, kind of with the old school, you know, not chili gravy, but like. Uh, you know, just like a really, a really like hearty. Oh yeah, like uh, a red sauce, enche- but right, it's just- yeah, enchilada sauce. Yeah, and, and and when I think about Brett's, I think that's you know it's those weekly specials uh, that always keep things fresh and interesting. And that's kind of one of the things they've hung their hat on, and 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 I agree with you. I think it's a top five Houston barbecue joint right now, and and I I can't wait to see the new location.
1: Yeah, when they have some more space, I mean, dining in there was really ridiculous. Obviously, it was just like two or three tables. It's like it's a small, it's about as small as operation as you could have, and for them to have the loyal following they have is really impressive and and well deserved. Um, I, and their, their specials was something that, you know, Brett had worked on. And then apparently Jacqueline just wrote out a whole calendar of when they were going to do them all. Like Brett was like, Oh, we're just doing it this week. And all of a sudden he's like, I guess we're committed to the rest of the summer. Cause they, like she posted a line, you know, but he's of course equal to the task. He's a, he's a very hardworking and very capable guy, you know, and, and just great history and very motivated. And, and I'm really excited for their new spot. Uh, and we'll of course be making the trek out there when it opens absolutely
0: all right michael i'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week thank you very much
1: always a pleasure stay cool out there
0: all right and i will be right back with david skinner I am joined this week by the chef owner of Eculent Restaurant in Kima, David Skinner. Welcome to the show. How are you? Very good. Thanks for having me on, Eric. Thanks for doing this. I want to kind of start at the beginning with you because I know that you had a whole career prior to entering the world of, of restaurants and professional cooking. So so let me just ask you, what did you do? Like what was your what was your real job uh, before you got into the world of
2: of opening your own restaurant? My real job. Well, um, so maybe I'll, I'll back up just a little bit and then it might explain the real job a little bit. So when I grew up in Oklahoma, my grandmother was a pastry chef and my mother owned a restaurant. So I was kind of always in the kitchen and always with them cooking. And what I really wanted to do was be a chef. That was that was that was kind of like my dream job when I was when I was growing up. And I actually had my first restaurant when I was sixteen. Um, but my mother insisted uh, that I go to school and get degrees in other things, so that if I decided I didn't want to be a chef my whole life, I would have something to fall back on. So it was good advice. And, uh, and I, at the time was kicking and screaming, saying, this is the stupidest thing. I'm, I'm having fun. I'm making money. Uh, you know, why do I need to go get a degree in something else? But, um, but she was right. You know, mothers usually are right about things. So I went and got, uh, degrees in finance and economics and statistics. And actually, when I got into college, I started my second restaurant, um, which was a farm to table, uh, restaurant and, um, did that in the evenings, uh, with school during the day and came out with, a with a few degrees. Um, and then my very first job was actually in, uh, the commodities business, um, trading soybeans. And I built a probabilistic trading system that kind of helped corner the market in those, uh, which I discovered was not what everybody wanted you to do. So I I left the commodities business and went to work for Conoco. I kind of used my statistics background and began working on what's commonly called decision analysis and so I did that uh, for about nine years and my boss came to me one day this was like hmm, mid-90s and the company had gone through some turmoil and of course there's market turmoil and things like that anyway he just said hey you know we're going through this reorganization you know you're really well thought of you've got a job you know wherever you want but they're probably not going to keep your group going and I was like fine um I want a six month sabbatical I want to leave and see if I can you know make this a business on the outside and if I can't I'll come back and we'll talk about where I'm going to go and if not then you know I'll kind of be on my way so he agreed to it gave me six months um I left at that time, I'd already started an organization uh, of kind of similar people with similar backgrounds. And so I had people in pharma and oil and gas and all kinds of places. And so I just started calling my network. And lo and behold, the first company that uh, that responded was Amico at the time in Houston. And they're like, hey, we've got this big uh, project Uh, in the deep water. And um, yeah, we'd like you to make a proposal. I did that project started out as six months, turned into two and a half years. And from that, basically I started, started my own company called decision strategies. I grew it to sort of the largest private strategy focused oil and gas company in the world. Um, Sold that to the um, employees in 2000. 10, yeah, 2010. And then start a oil field service company with Michael Dell and his, um, his investment group, um, MSDC on New York. And uh, did that for about four years and finally couldn't take the investment guys any longer. Um, and so. My wife's like, "What are you gonna do now?" And, and I, and she's like, "You could go start another consulting firm." And I'm like, mm, "No, I got this crazy idea for a restaurant." Right.
0: So, I, you know, I'm I i do not expect you to talk, you know, numbers or, or any of that, but it sounds to me like you were a highly successful individual in these uh, various endeavors. Your, your, yes. your nest egg, your nest egg is tidy. It's okay. Okay. Because because I I feel like it it takes like that kind of financial security to do what you did right to
2: to create a it does a, oh nobody else would do that it would be insane
0: right so 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 let's shift to Eculent and, and maybe you know not just to open a restaurant right because you could have opened a you know a seafood shack and the Kima Boardwalk and been just fine <laughs> but but a, a a tasting menu restaurant that I'd say is inspired by Uh, some of the most ambitious restaurants in the world. Maybe start with kind of how you decided that that would be your focus and then, and then what you did to prepare
2: to, to open it. Sure. Absolutely. So um, you're right. I mean, the, uh, people ask me all the time, you know, the common questions I get are how'd you come up with a name and you know, why Kima (laughs) and, and, uh, and why this kind of restaurant? So Um, The easy answer on the name is it's Latin. Um, So Esculent is to be eaten. Uh, I really liked that, but unfortunately, Esculent.com had already been taken. So I was like, I really like the meaning. I like the name. How can I make it my own? So I took the S out. So I always tell people I'm the S in Esculent. Um, So, (laughs) uh, yeah. But the idea came probably a good Oh, had to have been like two thousand five, two thousand six, yeah, somewhere in there. So it's been a while. Um, I took a uh, I took a trip to China, and and I was on my way to Beijing, and I had I won't say where I had the meal, but but I had a meal, and let's just say it did not agree with me on a twenty six hour flight. And so, the whole time over on this flight, um, besides spending time in the bathroom, um, <laughs> I started thinking about, why can't you have a decent meal at the airport, right? What? Why isn't there really, really good food at the airport? <laughs> and then that led me to thinking about, well, what kind of restaurant has not been done? And I couldn't come up with one. You know, honestly, there's so many fusions. There's so many you know, different things, especially now, but but even back then there was just, you know, so many things going on. And so I, I literally could not come up with an idea on the way over, but on the way back, I opened up my book and I kept thinking about it and I was like, hmm, okay, well, I'll just use my standard process I use with clients and I'm going to break the problem down and figure out if I can solve it. And, and what I came to is the fact that every restaurant The atmosphere is static, right? You walk in, the tables and chairs are are where they are, you know, people don't tend to get up, you know, other than to go to the bathroom or something, right? So you're not moving around. Um, Every cue in the restaurant is geared towards Whatever cuisine is being served, right? You walk in a Mexican restaurant, there's going to be a serape somewhere, there's going to be a sombrero, there's going to be mariachi music playing in the background. Right, and the seafood
0: restaurant, you got the fish tank, the Italian restaurant, you
2: got the Chianti bottle, the red white tablecloth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're geared to that. Our brains are designed to function off of these cues. So I got to thinking, I was like, well, what if you could really change that? And so that got my mind working and I started doing a bunch of research and came across like um, Charles Spence in the UK that's done all this research on, on all these different cues and smells and lighting effects and all these things. And I was like, wow, that would be really cool if I could come up with a restaurant where I could just change anything at a moment's notice and just see what it does. And so to me, it was like just a big ass experiment you know, that I was on the hook for financially, but I thought this would be really kind of interesting and, and why not? And so when the time came uh, and I was sort of unemployed, uh, that was why I decided to do, it's like, you know, I already, I already had the building. I already, <laughs> already had things going on. It's like, yeah, let's, let's try this and see how it goes. And, um, I learned an awful lot, especially in the, in the first few years, you know, so I've got a really good understanding now of, of sort of the boundaries we can push and the ones that you should stay away from around uh, introducing different smells in different ways and how it accentuates the food or can take away. There's a lot of that. And so early on, we, we did, we did a lot more than we do now. Now it's, now there's, 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 I was gonna say there was as much going on. There's not quite as much going on as in the early years, but we're doing it in very different ways. And it's it's all very subtle now that you your mind picks up on, but the but the eyes and the ears don't necessarily.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wanted to kind of dive into that because I, I you know, I probably dined with you six or seven years ago. The mm-hmm. restaurant was probably six months to a year old at that point. You were doing three different menus and the theatricality was like very ostentatious, right? Like there yeah. were different aerosols, there were different music, different lighting, sort of time throughout the course of the the menu. And then, and then, you know, now I've, I, I was back about a month ago and, and there's one menu and, and everybody gets it all at the same time. And, and there's still some lighting cues, but it's, it's. So in, in some ways it's, yeah. It's a lot more subtle. I, that's a good word. So, how did you sort of get to that place where you've you've evolved to where you are now? With the atmospherics, or with kind of the whole experience, right? Like, your how has your thinking evolved to 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 get to where you are now?
2: So, um, like I said, we we learned a lot. Uh, you know, that first year was really it was a lot of trial and error and it wasn't just on on sort of what we did with the atmosphere and the food and the menus and and all that it was you know figuring out staffing and figuring out you know what kind of chefs could I actually hire um that would get it right um the very first chef I had which is Probably the yeah Michael would have been the one that was there when you were there, um, so he came from the CIA, um, great chef, but he he was sort of set in his ways. So that's probably the best way to put it, right?
0: And right because I, I have this vision that that someone who's like a, a very like very classically trained and grew up working at certain kinds of you know had their training at certain kind of restaurants would be constantly telling you like no no you can't do that.
2: Exactly, and, and, and I can't
0: imagine—I can't imagine that—that that worked very well with you.
2: Not too well, no. As a Matter of fact, that was our first fight that we had, and he actually stormed out of the restaurant because <laughs> um, he was—he was working on a hollandaise, and he was having a problem, and it was breaking. And I'm like, you know, I know three ways to make that so it'll never break. And he's like, that's impossible. And I'm like, no, it's very possible. There's three different ways to do this; it will never break no matter what you do to it. And he's like, well, I don't believe you. And I'm like, well, you want me to show you? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, go ahead. Pick one. Show me. So I did. I made this this hollandaise. And I'm like, try it. Try heat. Try acid. Try You try whatever you want. Guarantee it won't break. He couldn't break it. And he stormed out of the restaurant, pissed off. And so I'm like, well, he won't be back. And How dare and you I, try
0: to teach me something?
2: Exactly. And I bet him $50 too. So he's embarrassed and he's out
0: 50 bucks. I got it. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so the next morning he actually showed up and he's like, uh, I apologize for, for storming out of here. That wasn't professional. I shouldn't have done that, but he's like, I spent $120,000 going to the CIA and they couldn't teach me this. And you taught me this and you didn't go to the CIA. And I'm like, uh, there's all kinds of things I can teach you that the CIA did not teach you. <laughs> and, and he was like, show me how you did that because I really want to know. <laughs> like, okay. And I said, by the way, here's your $50. And he's like, but but I lost. And I'm like, it's okay. It's a learning experience. Here's your 50 bucks. Here's how we do it and learn from this. And, and now you have a way you can think about how you make sauces, all kinds of sauces that won't break. And, uh, and he was just like, okay. And, and at that point, I had him converted, but but I've had others that come in, and it's the same thing. It's just like, well, this isn't how they taught me to do it in school. And I'm like, yes, I understand that. That doesn't mean that's the only way you can do this. And and so the hard part I have with, with most chefs, now, the, the great thing is the team I have now has been with me a while. And... And I was able to sort of unlearn a lot of the things. In fact, all of them, all of them have been trained at the French school. Um, and, and I'm just like, uh, here's how you have to think about this differently. Here's how you have to do this differently. If you want this to work, right? And and so that was, that was probably as hard as anything. But, but that first, that first year, it was, you're right. We had three menus. I was, I was, I was so ambitious. I was like, I, and, and, and part of it was because for me, it was just, it was a pure experiment. It's like, I don't know if this will work or not. And I told my wife, I'm like, I'm going to give it five years. At the end of five years, if it's not working, I'll just turn the lights out, lock the door, and say, okay, it was, it was an interesting experiment. Here's what I learned. Right. But yeah, early on, I was really trying to push every every button every boundary it's like what what tempo should the music be at uh you know i have got i have a have a good friend and actually own part of a music company um and because he was a musician too i'm just like this is the tempo i'm looking for because there's there's a lot of things um that you can affect even even taste with music depending on tempo and tone Um, but we were really pushing it pretty far. And the same thing with the smells. I mean, there's things, there's things that we did in those early years that were just, you know, too far out there. Um, and, and then and and the three menus, and we had 32 seats when we first opened. I mean, it was just it was just too much. And so I started looking at okay, how do we, how do we pair this back? Not so much around just trying to make it to where it was, you know. Uh, at least had a shot at being profitable, but so that we could we could really kind of fine tune and hone in on on the craft, which is which is what we were what was focused on from the beginning. But um, it's now very everything is very subtle. The only thing that's not as subtle is the lighting, but there's there's still kind of a reason for that. But everything else is has gone very subtle, and even though. Um, we don't do as much with smell as we used to. There's still a number of things that we do kind of little tricks here and there. Um, Like the forest dish. Right.
0: Right. I'm right. I I, actually, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it was one of the ones that uh, Matt Harris and I talked about a couple episodes ago when, when we talked about our meal, I'd say it's probably the most theatrical dish because it it comes in that giant cloche. It's filled with smoke and, you know, the lighting is dim. You can't quite see, you know, what you're eating necessarily. Right. You have to kind of explore, you know, with your tweezers and with your fork to, to find the different mushrooms, the escargot, the soil, the, you know, all of the different components. So just specifically kind of what inspired that dish? Did you, did you see something like it somewhere else? Because I, uh, you know, of of everything we ate, that was certainly the most memorable.
2: You know, mm-hmm. and and, and yeah. also very delicious. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, no, nobody's done a dish like that that I know of. Um, matter of fact, you know, the thing that I've kind of prided myself with is we don't do dishes you're going to find anywhere else. You know, um, and that's been a lot of the hard part too. Um, you know, trying to to come up with things that Um, are number one delicious because if it's not good I'm not going to serve it Um, but number two done in a way that um, you know hopefully sparks memories or creates new memories for people Um, and the forest dish is one in particular so um, I used to uh, I used to go camping a lot when I was a kid and uh, my grandfather used to take me and we we'd go in the woods and you know, we'd, we take trips to Colorado and other places. And, and it was just one of those things. It's just like, I want a dish that reminds me of being in the forest. And so with that dish, you're, you're right. It comes out, you know, the smoke obscures, you know, what's in there. So you don't really know what it is until we remove the cloche. The smoke itself actually adds a, a taste component to the, to the dish, but also keeps it from being overpowering. But it's also uh, one of the scents that you get early on right and so one of the things i always loved when i was when I was a kid was being in the woods with my grandfather and we'd build a campfire and you know half the time we'd cook something that we you know caught in the woods or you know whatever right or, or we'd be fishing and you know we'd we'd grill the trout or whatever you know over a fire in the forest and so and um, so that was, that was part of it. And then with that one, the fork is actually scented to the forest floor. And if you took a bite of that dish without the scented fork, it actually tastes different. But that's a lot of the, the thinking and sort of the prep that, that goes into it. But, but I wanted a dish that would just take you back to being in a forest. And I have lots of people in, you know, and they've come from Seattle and other places. And they're just like, oh, my God, this reminds me so much of home you know, and, and that's, that's what I want. You, you got a great review in the Washington
0: Post from uh, Tom Tom Satsima. Yeah. I mean, did you, did you know it was him and and kind of what did that do for your, for your restaurant?
2: No, (laughs) Uh, that's the one thing. If you, if you know, Tom, he's, he's always in disguise. Um, There's like no pictures of him on the internet. There's, there's nothing. Right. Yeah. That was kind of a, it was kind of a weird thing. So I had gotten an email from um, uh, Mary Ann uh, at the Washington Post, and, it, and it, was, it was this cryptic email. And it, and it was like, um, we'd like to come and do a, a video of your restaurant for a new video series we're going to do at the Washington Post. Um, if you have questions, please call me at the number below. And honest to God, I thought somebody was punking me. That's really what I thought. I'm (laughs) like, the Washington post is not coming here. They're not, they're not, they're not serious. And so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna call the person's bluff. So I called the number and it was like, uh, leave a, leave a message. And I'm like, Hmm. Okay. So I left a message and literally, no return phone call, no nothing for like two weeks. And finally I get a call from her and she was like, Oh, I'm sorry. We were off on safari and I just have returned. And I was like, Oh, well, okay. And she's like, yeah. So we've, we've heard a lot about you and your restaurant and we're doing this video series kind of like um, chef's table on Netflix and we'd like to come, you know, film you. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, look, it won't be, you know, you won't even know we're there. And I'm like, have you seen any pictures of my restaurant? Trust me, <laughs> I will know if you're there. And she's like, Oh, it'll, it'll be okay. I'm like, All right, right. Fine. We should, right. We should explain to
0: people that you, you have about 20 seats.
2: Yes. 20. Seats. So there's That's no, there's have.
0: nowhere to, there's
2: nowhere to hide. There's nowhere mm-hmm. to hide. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, She's like, uh, so here's the day, and the film crew's going to come, and um, and like I said, you, you won't even know we're here. I'm like, oh, okay. So the day came, and it was a Thursday. They filmed until literally about midnight, and we were all just exhausted, and I'm just like, oh, you know, tomorrow we got to do this all over again, you know, whatever, and so the next day, um, we were all just kind of dragging a bit. And so this guy's sitting at the bar and it was Tom. I didn't know at the time. And, um, and he asked some questions, you know, during dinner and we took him on tour of the food lab. And, and he had some questions in the food lab and, you know, he had a good time and, you know, thanked us and all that. And then the next morning, I got an email from a friend of mine who had done a photo shoot for us for something else. I can't even remember what it was and she was like hey David I need to come get some photos um for the Washington Post and I'm like why you don't need photos I said the Washington right, you post, have hours post. of video what do you what could you possibly you, need yeah you, you have hours and hours and I go you don't get better shots than what you could even take probably you know just off those cameras and she's like um I'm probably not supposed to tell you this but it's not for that. And I'm like, what, what's it for? She's like "Uh, the Washington post food critic ate here last night. And I'm like, what? (laughs) She's (laughs) like, she's like, yeah, I've got a shot list of 26 um, shots that I have to get and they need them Saturday. And I was like, Oh my God, are you kidding me? And she's like, no, she's like, I'm not kidding you. I'm like okay come on in we'll we'll get the shots and so she came in on Saturday morning and we started shooting you know the lab and and some close-ups of some of the courses and I was leaving for Europe the following week so it was Monday afternoon and I get this call from a DC number I didn't recognize and it was Tom and he's like um yeah, I'm writing a I'm writing a piece for the Washington Post, and um, because I, my mind is still swimming in all of these questions, you know, things that you did, that I I just I haven't seen before, I can't figure out, and you know, I'm not going to ask you for your secrets, but you know, I do want to know kind of how you did some of the stuff. And I was like, okay, fine. So I said, now here's the only thing: I'm getting ready to leave for Europe. I don't know when you have to have all these, you know questions answered and things like he goes well let me start off and I'm going to send you an email with my first list and I was like okay and I get this email and it was like two pages long of all these questions he had on on like everything and um, literally I talked to him I think probably like six days of our 10 or 12 day trip he would just call, and he's like, "Okay, I got this random question." I'm like, "All right, fine," <laughs> you know. And in the end, he did a pretty good job on the on the review. There was one or two things that he still had wrong, and I pointed out to him. Um, but the but, but certainly, actually... I mean, but certainly the the prestige of his reputation. I
0: mean, he's a James Beard winner. You know, one of the most prominent food critics in America. I, I mean, it must have it must have spiked some serious interest.
2: Oh, it did. It did. Yeah. And and it came out and I was still I was still in Europe. Uh, We were I think we were flying back the day it came out. Matter of fact, I remember you emailed me or texted me or something and you were just like, hey, any comments on the Washington Post review? And you you were the first one to do it. I didn't even realize it was out.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I you know, just as an editorial, like we for whatever reason, our readers. Well, I I mean, I I appreciate there's a civic pride in our element of our coverage. And whenever a Houstonian, a a business, a restaurant, whatever a chef earns national recognition that that's people get really excited for them. So that's always been a, an aspect of our coverage. So yeah, you get, you get reviewed in the Washington post. You're going to hear from me. I'm going to hear it from
2: you. Okay, good. I like hearing from you. So it's, it's fine. You can call me anytime. (laughs) I'll tell you about some other things coming out, but anyway, yeah. So I love, let's see, we were on, I think we were on open table. At that time, yeah, pretty sure it was open table. And um, so I log in to look at the reservations, and it's like, yeah, just no, nothing left. I mean, we've always the first two years, maybe two and a half years, things were kind of like, yeah, you know, tonight's okay, but you know, it's not great. We'd have open tables, and then by about year three, definitely year four. We got to where we really didn't have any open tables. And then when this came out, it just, it was, it was, in some ways it was a nightmare because at the time I would open three months of reservations at a time. And so um, it was like, everything was gone just immediately. And then we opened the next three months after I got back and those sold out in like maybe a minute and ever since then i mean right now because of the economy and stuff we're not selling out as fast as as we used to but we used to sell out in a couple of minutes and and now sometimes it's a day or whatever but yeah so that's that's definitely affected it and then um this year i don't know when some of it's coming out we did a um we have two two tv things um texas country reporter came um matter of fact i just talked to them because i thought it was going to come out in september october and now he's saying it's slated for april that they're that we're going to be on that show but we've got a there's a national network that came and filmed us in may um which i'm not I'm not allowed to say what is or what they're going to do, but it's a it's a brand new um, food series, and we're season one. So all
0: right, well, well, let me just say we uh, we've run longer than I anticipated. Oh, sorry. Um, I can talk. And, and it now. and it no no, I, it's it's been great. Um, I didn't get a chance to ask you about the new restaurant you're opening with uh, Chef G and Graham from Street to Kitchen, but but all that means is that you know in December before you open that restaurant you and chef G will come back and we'll, we'll do this all over again. So, perfect. so let me just, I, I do, I do this silly thing. I call the lightning round, five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. What is your favorite ingredient? Mushroom. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Chicago. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive through.
2: Oh, with a drive through uh taco bell
0: who is your favorite houston sports figure past or present uh nolan ryan and then finally when you're ordering pizza
2: what are your go-to toppings Mm, mushroom of course onions pepperoni sausage give us the website
0: for eculent and the social media and anything else you want people to to be
2: aware of? Yeah. So, um, it's really easy. Eculent is E-C-U-L-E-N-T. Um, you can find us on, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram or Facebook under Eculent and our website is simply Eculent.com. Yeah. I'll
0: say you're a very entertaining Instagram follow because it, it always shows your, your adventures around, you know, Either, either what you're cooking or, or your adventures around the world. So I endorse following you on Instagram. Thank you very much. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.